What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Eastern Current. Uh, got a got a return guest on here today, a good friend of mine. Um, excited to have him on here. We've got a lot to talk about, and uh, he's really, really good at this type of, of thing. Better than myself. He's good. At, he creates a lot of content himself. I'm gonna leave y'all guessing though for just a second until I introduce him. Um, but before we get into the podcast, definitely go check out Eastern Current Fishing on Facebook. Great way to connect with other listeners. Um, go check out our Patreon page. We've got extra content on there. Uh, also, we're going to start doing some live streams again on YouTube. So be looking forward, be looking out for that on, uh, we'll talk about it on Instagram and on Facebook. So you'll know when that's coming up. Um, and anything else? Oh, uh, subscribe, or not subscribe, uh, rate us on iTunes. That definitely helps out. And if you do watch any YouTube videos, comment and like, because I'm, re- I'm learning how much that really helps. If you do like a video, just press that like button. It takes like less than a second to do. Uh, and it helps out a lot. So um, I'm going to go ahead and bring on our guest, and he is Wyatt. What's going on, man? <laughs> What's going on, Joe? <laughs> What's going on, Eastern Current? Very happy to be here talking to you guys today. Uh, I've learned a lot from this podcast, and, and I really enjoy coming on and talking with you and uh, being able to talk to the audience as well. Right on, man. I'm glad I got you on here now because, as you could probably already tell, I'm struggling with my words today. I started talking, and I'm like, <laughs> not using correct grammar. I don't even know if I'm speaking English. So now I can just, I'll just ask you a question real quick if I need a break. Um, but yeah, it's stoked to have you on, man. So I'm bummed because you don't live here in North Carolina anymore. Yeah, yeah. So I've made the move to Texas. I'm in, a, I'm in Corpus Christi. Those Carolina marshes will always hold a special place in my heart. I'm sure I'm going to come back and fish them soon. Uh, but I just made the move down here uh, to cover this new awesome fishery for Heck Salt yeah. Strong. Um, so really pumped to be down here targeting all these, uh, all these real big trout, big redfish, and, uh, even some flounder as well. Yeah, man. So I'm, down. I'm jealous. I, I know we've been talking, you know, not on the podcast, but about me getting down there and hanging out with you and doing some filming and just do really just doing some fishing together. Um, you know, I love our fishery here in North Carolina, but I would love to live now where you're living and, and be able to fish that stuff on a regular, but the grass is always greener. And that's what I try to always share on this podcast is like. Don't be like, oh, I wish I lived here. I wish I lived there. Like, learn about your fishery, and and the biggest, the big, two big reasons why I'm bummed. One is you became a good friend of mine. Two, you're like the best voice I've heard for conservation in our area. And so I'm like, well, dang, somebody's. It's gonna be hard to fill white shoes as far as you know working towards a better fishery here in North Carolina. So maybe you'll still have to work for us from Texas. We'll see how that how that pans out. But. Um, yeah, why, why it works for Salt Strong and creates incredible content for them. So if you haven't met him before on my podcast or on Instagram or anything like that, definitely go check him out on Instagram. It's Wyatt uh, or Salt Strong Wyatt, which is here on the. Uh, if you're watching the video, you can see that on his lower third. But if you're listening, it's Salt Strong Wyatt. Go check him out on Instagram. And uh, if you Google any type of fishing question or YouTube any type of fishing question, there's a really good chance if it's inshore related that Wyatt will pop up answering it for you on YouTube. So uh, keep an eye out for him on there as well. Uh, but let's kind of get into, I think what I was excited to talk about is, you know, you've been down there, you fished a little bit, um, you fished a good bit since you've been down there. I, I want to kind of talk to you about some of the relations that you've seen between the fishery here in North Carolina and Texas. Because I've had Texas guys on the podcast, but I haven't had Texas guys that are familiar with uh, North Carolina. And I would say you're probably still much more familiar with North Carolina right now than you are with Texas, but you're getting a good little mixture of the two. So um, let's talk about how, you know, what you learned here maybe helps you there and some of the things that you wish you had known when you were here. Um, that's a really broad question. Let's just start out with <laughs> what was the biggest thing you took from North Carolina to Texas that really helped you out? 
Absolutely, yeah. So, so it's funny. The the fish actually, you know, they're biologically the same species. That's what so I've heard. learning, yeah, <laughs> learning how uh, learning how the fish fed in North Carolina, learning, you know, what they liked eating at certain times of the year, what positions they're going to put themselves in to feed in different seasons. Those types of spots and those types of baits you're going to want to be using. Just understanding seasonal trends uh, and just understanding how those fish feed completely translated over to Texas as well. So I'm doing pretty much on paper the same things that I was doing in North Carolina here in Texas, and it's all producing results. The spots just look a little bit different on satellite maps. Um, I, I know we talk about, uh, you know, you touched on it. The grass is always greener. There are some situations in North Carolina that are, I mean, it's breaking my heart because I don't have access to those, those winter redfish holes. You don't get that here. You don't have a lot of the same scenarios uh, when you go to different estuaries. So, you know, low tide reds, that's something that held a special place in my heart. And I was really excited to get after them this winter, uh, but unfortunately don't have access to, to that kind of fishery here. It's more, you know, shallower grass flats. The tide changes are like the, the full moon just came through. It was like a one foot tide change. So it's, it's <laughs> so much less than what we get in North Carolina. And, and you don't get those really magic days where you've got, you know, 400 redfish in a hole. Yeah. They're, uh, it, it's a little bit different. But yeah, I would say probably the biggest thing that, that I brought with me was just understanding my target species, what they did in different seasons, how they fed and the types of spots that they're going to put themselves in. Yeah. Uh, that's really what translated the most. Well, with that being said, what would you say is maybe the biggest difference that you've seen between the two? Uh, that's been the, the largest learning curve for you so far. Yeah. So the, probably the biggest thing for me is because there's not that big tide change, fish are more in a active hunting mode. I find that the, there's not such a small window to hit fish. Um, like in North Carolina, you really had to be on your timing uh, to go after certain species. It felt like for me, at least in the kayak, uh, there was timing associated with which species I was going to be targeting at different points in the tide. Here on the shallower flats where those tide changes are so much less pronounced and most times there's water on the flat at all times throughout the day uh, that would allow them to be hunting and feeding. Those, there's such a large bite window that you're kind of searching around for fish constantly. I'm having to do a lot more blind casting. I'm having to kind of search a little bit more than I did. Even when I was in these winding creeks that, you know, you go down a certain creek bank or you look at a creek mouth and you know, okay, I need to make a cast there and you make one or two and you can move on to the next spot because you know you felt that zone out. You've got a wide expanse of grass flat and, you know, here in Texas, you've got these wide expanses of grass flats those you know zones that you would want to make two casts at are all over the place and the yeah. fish are also spread out so you're you're constantly having to search so much of uh so much of an area that you don't know if there's fish in i would say that's probably the biggest thing is i'm i'm having to cover a lot more ground than i did in north carolina yeah for sure for sure i guess finding those like choke up points where fish are piled up together might be a little bit different um you know and, and i've watched a lot of texas content and it I think one of the biggest things that, that you said that, that rang true to me was like, you know, the fish are in the same areas. They might not look the same, but they're the same types of areas. And that really is true. I mean, they're looking for the same things. And I, I think there's probably little biological differences between speckled trout in Texas and North Carolina and Louisiana and Florida. Um, but for the most part, you know, they're, they're, they're working and acting the same way. I mean, we have fish in 
areas of North Carolina that are going to act probably a lot like Texas trout. Obviously, the bottom doesn't look the same, but you think about the Pamlico Sound, um, the New River, which is the closest to us, those fish, you know, kind of relate to potholes and structure and stuff the same way that a Texas trout I hear does. And, and so, um, you know, that, that just proves true. I mean, we live, we live in an area, and you lived in an area with a lot of current, so we were always basing, you know, everything off of that current. Um, but, but this time of year, this is the time of year too, where those trout will get in those big deep holes, like the redfish and they'll sit and they're getting, usually you can, the water's so clear, you can see about the 200 of them sitting in there and you, you maybe, <laughs> maybe get one to eat, but at least with artificial, um, it, being down there for a couple weeks now, what would you, you know, is there anything that you've kind of put together that you think would help people back on this part of the East coast with their, their wintertime fishing? Yeah, I would say uh, probably the, the the biggest thing for me has been, you know, actually being able to see in the water now uh, and understand exactly where these fish are holding. I think the, the biggest thing would be to really learn the water that you're fishing, um, because I'll give the example with trout. Uh, you know, the, all the trout that I've been catching the past, you know, two, three weeks, because I just moved here, uh, the pat, all, all these trout have been hanging on the edges of these grass flats, right? Uh, and if my cast is, you know, six feet to the right of that depth change, I'm not getting bites. If my cast is six feet to the left of that depth change, not getting bites, I have to run that shelf, uh, you know, just the right way with a, a paddle tail or uh, a shrimp imitation to get that strike. And in dirtier water uh, in North Carolina, uh, at least right now, it's uh, it's a little bit clearer than it usually is. Uh, I really would try to learn exactly where that shelf is or change my weights around so I can learn the bottom yeah. and then start making these tasks. Uh, because the big key is really just putting your bait exactly where it needs to go, where those fish are feeding. Um, Cause that, you know, in this example, the depth change is where that strike zone is, right where that depth change kind of drops off. And that can happen in a span of two to three feet. And if your casts are outside of that range, very unlikely you're gonna get hit. And this is just an example for trout. Right, right. There's, there's similar scenarios that are going to happen with redfish as well. But I would say I probably didn't put enough time into learning exactly where that oyster bar starts or where it drops off in relation to that marsh grass or where the hole begins. And uh, I do remember picking up on some of these things when I was fishing those winter holes um, the first year that I lived in North Carolina and picking up on some of that stuff actually did really improve my game. Uh, and I didn't even know it yet. Uh, yeah. But now, now being here, I can see, my leaps and strides that I was making with my North Carolina fishing was really learning that marsh, learning the bends, learning the holes, learning right exactly where that shelf drops off. And I feel like in dirty water, it's probably more important that your casts are exactly where they need to be, yeah. even more than in this clear water. Definitely. Yeah. Those fish are going to, you know, they can't see as far. They're going to orient to those different pieces of um, either a ledge or a piece of structure or the oyster bars and, and knowing where the oysters are, you know, broken and thin as compared to where they're, you know, thick and, and a, you know, a good mound of oysters. It, it, so much of that plays in. You don't have to know all that stuff to catch fish, but the more of those little pieces of the puzzle that you start to recognize and, and, and relate to when you're on the water, the better off it is. Um, talking about, you know, how important it is uh, getting your cast down the edge of that flat where it kind of transitions into deeper water. Have you found, you know, like when we're fishing here in North Carolina, current and angle and all that can play such a factor to it. Uh, are you having more luck kind of sitting in that deeper water, throwing back to the flat and bringing it back off or vice versa, kind of working it from the deep water up onto the flat? 
Yeah, so this is a, this is a fantastic subject. Actually, I'm really gra- glad that you asked about this. So uh, right now, you know, we're in the winter time. It's really I'm finding that it's situational. So let's talk about pre post front fishing. So pre front those fish, you know, they're really active. They're fired up. They're they're feeding because they know that a front's about to come through. So they're they're a little bit they're close to that depth change because they know they're going to have to go there soon. They know that that wind, they can feel it. They know there's about to be that front that's going to push through, but they're up in the shallows feeding. They're hunting because they need to get fattened up because they don't know when they're going to get the feed next. They don't know how long this front's going to come. They just know that it's occurring. That front comes through, they're locked down in that hole. So they're sitting there and, uh, you know, you can try to work some finesse presentations out of them, uh, but you really have to be working the deeper part of that depth change. Uh, and you have to be doing it slowly because those fish, you know, don't have a lot of energy. Uh, they're they're not, you know, in the best, you know, state of being because the weather's not driving what they want. Um, but then post front, if the weather clears up, the winds drop out, uh, and, and it's a little bit calmer, they're going to move up to the edge of those shallows again, almost like they were uh, pre front, and they're going to be feeding because you know it's warmed up and uh, they're more comfortable. So it's really heavily dependent on. The, the weather factors. And that's something that I'm starting to realize a lot more here um, just because it's shallower water. Uh, and, you know, those fish are a little bit more affected than the weather uh, by the weather than they are in North Carolina. Um, but I find it, I'm really choosing where I'm, I'm fishing in terms of depth, depending on what the weather has been doing. Um, now I'm sure that's going to change depending on the season, but in the winter time, I feel like those fish are always going to be relating to somewhere close to a depth change that they can duck off into and have more stable temperatures. Um, you know, that wind that's on a two foot flat is going to lower that temperature drastically. And if they can get more stable temperatures, not necessarily warmer, but a constant stable temperature, that's not going to mess with their metabolism. Cause if that temperature rises, uh, in those shallows, if they were to just sit in the shallows the, the whole time, uh, that their metabolism would go up because the temperature would rise and their bodies would need to eat and consume more bait uh, so that they could burn uh, yeah. that, that energy. But if the temperature was to change drastically and their metabolism is still up, their bodies are going to end up eating, you know, basically eating the calories uh, of themselves. So they, they would prefer to sit in that deeper depth change where they can have the more stable temperatures, regulate their bodies and metabolisms a little bit easier, and then adjust where they're hunting because the prime hunting is in the shallows. Um, but they would adjust where they're going to be based on what they're comfortable changing that temperature with. Gotcha. So it's, it's kind of a complex subject, um, but it's really just choosing where what depth you're going to be fishing based on the conditions and the seasonal patterns. So just – Looking for those areas of warmth and stable temperature in the winter is really what I'm focused on right now. But yeah, definitely edges of the flats um, for the trout right now. The reds, they will push up pretty shallow uh, post front when it warms up. But I'm finding some of them even mixed in with, with those uh, those trout right and the deep holes that are entering those grass flats. Heck yeah. One of the things I hear y'all talk about, you know, you and Luke and Joe and Tony at Salt Strong is the three Bs. And we've talked about this before, like the birds, bait, and boils. And that that's something that y'all put together. And it's just such an incredible, you know, thing to remember while on the water, you know. And it's not, in, in my opinion, it's, you can find fish away from that. But if you find those three things, you're fine. There's definitely fish there. <laughs> so uh, this time of year here in North Carolina, I know you know it. We talk about these winter redfish holes and trout holes. It's, you know, you go in there and maybe because a lot of times those fish are sitting on the bottom, you might not see the boils, but you see the fish actually eating baits. Um, and, but they're all together. The birds are on those in those same creeks, the baits in there, you know, the fish are eating the bait. 
Um, and what I wanted to get to is, is that kind of a common trend in Texas as well? Like, is that something that you kind of looked into and kind of found your first couple of days on the water to locate fish? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's how I started finding these first couple uh, trout holes or the edges of these flats that were productive because there's small little sandbars that align the edges of these grass flats, or there might even be an oyster bar that's sitting on the edge and there'll be, you know, eight or nine birds sitting on that bar and it's big pelicans or those big wading birds. Um, and usually close by in the shallows, you can see a lot of bait fish jumping uh, as well. So the baits in that area, the birds are in that area. And when I kind of, you know, I'm kayaking or I'm wading up to these spots, I'm seeing those boils. I'm seeing fish spook off, even in the, the really dirty flats that actually have clarity that's very similar to, uh, to North Carolina. I'll see those, those swirls or those boils. Yeah. Um, I won't actually see the fish, but I can see that something large just spooked off. I can see the surge moving. Um, so, you know, those three Bs really helped me dial in on where the fish were. Because being that, again, these are such large, expansive flats, uh, as I said, I'm doing a lot more searching. Uh, and if I'm not seeing bait in the area, I'm not seeing birds in the area, I'm not going to continue, you know, casting over potholes uh, and wasting time. I'm going to, okay, I see another area of the flat that has potholes on Google Maps. I'm going to go search over there. Depending on what the wind's doing, it might be manipulating bait closer to the shallows of this shoreline or the shoreline over to the east. It, it's yeah. really, again, dependent um, on those weather conditions, especially here on these shallow flats. I know it did happen a little bit in North Carolina, but it's mainly current driven, uh, or I'm sorry, mainly tidal flow driven uh, that's going to influence where the current's going. But here on shallow flats with very minimal tidal flow, uh, I find that the wind is a much larger driving factor to where those fish are gonna, number one, position themselves to feed, uh, number two, where that, that, that bait is going to be moving with that current. Again, those two influence each other really heavily. Those fish are gonna put their nose into the current where the bait's coming from so they have easy access to meals. Kind of just think of a conveyor belt, but the wind is one of the biggest driving factors here uh, when you're fishing these uh, these shallow flats. Yeah, for sure. What's the uh, what's the majority of the bait that you're seeing down there right now? What, what type of bait is it? There are some mullet. Uh, actually, there's some really big row mullet, which is why I'm guessing a lot of these guys throw these corkies uh, <laughs> here this time of year for those big trout. I am seeing some really big mullet, but there are a lot of really small. I haven't even figured out what species they are. They're the small silver bait fish, um, and they're probably like three or four inches long. Um, I don't. I don't think they had them in North Carolina, but it's some tort, some kind of small bait fish. Um, there are a couple ladyfish around as well, so. Couple big bait fish, uh, and then a ton of shrimp, tons and tons nice. of little shrimp. Heck yeah! Have you have you noticed that the fish kind of key in more on one of those types of baits that, since you've been down there? Is there one that's that's more productive than than, yeah. than others? Absolutely. So so right now I, I do feel like the small bait fish imitations are really key. I've tried using large paddle tails. Uh, our, I, I've used the Slam Shady Bomber, which is our five inch. Um, paddle tail it was working great for me in the fall in north carolina um and even in the summer um but i find that in the winter time I, I do like to downsize a little bit and that same trend has kind of applied here smaller bait fish that whatever that three to four inch bait fish is that's here that i don't know the name of the species of maybe someone can comment watching the podcast and yeah. know what it is uh, but those seem to be what the trout are really dialed in on have caught a couple reds on them as well but also, if I go to a different part of a flat, you know, it seems like the edges of the flats have a little bit more bait fish. If I go a little bit shallower and up 
come out kind of in the mud a little bit more. I will see a lot more crustaceans. I'm seeing a lot of crabs. That I have some drone footage that I put up on Instagram of these massive, like 30 inch black drum. They're huge and they're eating all up on crabs and shrimp. So if I do go to a different part of the flat where I am seeing more crustacean activity, I will kind of change up what I'm throwing. Yeah. Uh, if I see more shrimp, obviously, I'm gonna change over to a shrimp imitation. If I'm on those edges of those flats where I know that there's trout feeding on bait fish, I'm gonna go with that bait fish imitation. It just kind of depends on what I'm seeing, and that can change on the exact same flat uh, depending on you know what spot you're in. Yeah, isn't that crazy? You know, just, just a couple inches of water change will change what the fish are actually keying in on to, to feed on man it's you see that here in north carolina like that dead low tide belly crawling redfish you know they're focused on shrimp and there's been a lot of times where i've been sitting there you know throwing soft plastic paddle tails or something that imitates a bait fish and they, they will eat it but there's a lot of times that they'll they'll get they'll be so keyed in on those little grass shrimp if you don't throw a fly or a really really small little soft plastic shrimp a lot of times you're not going to get eaten like you got to throw that little tiny voodoo or a little savage um, to get those bites, they just get so keyed in on, you know, what they're eating. Has there been a bait that's kind of, if you, all right, from what you know right now, is there one bait that you would throw if you had, if you could only choose one down there that you think would cover everything? Man, super easy choice for me. That 3.5 inch slam shady 2.0. Okay. Everybody knew that was going to be my answer. I, I, I did give you like this perfect pitch to just <laughs> t- talk about the slam shady. <laughs> but no, but for real, it, it, it just works regardless of what the water clarity is. I like the flash and foil that's in it. Um, that being said, you know I've used the uh, I've used the salt strong power prawns. I've used the the Z Man um, uh, minnow Zs in a couple different colors here. All have caught fish. I've even started using those corkies. But for when I'm searching over those grass flats, man, I just get myself one of those three aught owner twist lock hooks. Yeah. And like a one eighth ounce. You know, these flats are anywhere from two to like four feet deep. Um, so as I'm drifting or I'm waiting or whatever, being able to pop, 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 move over all these areas with uh, these these weedless paddle tails, um, you know, it, it just allows me to cover areas really really well but I, I, that's not to say that when i get to a spot and I'm, I, I find fish uh with those paddle tails i'm not going to adjust my tack I, I will i'm sorry i will adjust my tackle um because i've got more necess- not necessarily finesse presentations but more high probability uh selections so those paddle tails are great for covering ground great for covering those areas of flats where i maybe don't know if there's fish um but I will switch up if I feel like, you know, maybe there's some bigger trout in the area to a larger, you know, maybe mirror lure or maybe the corky. I'll, I'll tie it on. It just depends on whether I've found fish or not. If I'm just going to use one lure to, to find fish and get bites, paddle tail, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as I said, you know, this is winter time. Those fish can be a little bit more lethargic. So if I want to go with a slower presentation, that mirror lure is really hard to beat. I picked up one of those. MR, I think it's the MR17 mm-hmm. from Speckled Truth. That bandit color with the red head, yeah. and the white oh, yeah. and the, oh man, that thing has been crushing trout here. Like once I find the cut that, like the cut that enters that flat, uh, I'll actually have a video up on this soon. So if you guys want to look it up, it's like the number one spot for wade fishing in the winter. It shows exactly where you need to be fishing, how you how, how to fish it for these trout in Texas. Uh, really anywhere that you've got these big grass spots, it'll apply in Florida as well. But, but once you find the cut uh, that has, you know, a lot of feeding activity at it, feel it out with a couple different lures. Find one, uh, find something that's going to hang in the strike zone of those fish 
uh, as best as possible, and that's how you're going to get the most strikes. I feel like that what you're describing right there, you know, talking about the cut leading onto the grass flat, it just makes me, I can't help but think about, um, you know, areas like Mason Bro Sound, areas like, you know, in Georgia and South Carolina, these big shallow bay systems that they're not a grass flat, but they're this a flat system with oysters, and they've got these drains that go on and off of them. And where do we find our trout, you know, in redfish in the colder months back around, you know, these areas, the exact same thing. You know, it's not the grass flats, it's not the crystal clear water, but those fish are doing the same thing. You know, you just have to, you, it, what you gotta do is wrap your head around like how to, you know, more abstractly look at a satellite image and pick out the key parts of it that, that aren't, I don't even really know how to explain this, but, but that's the, I mean, that's what you've done, that's what I've done, that's how we've kind of broken this mold of like, thinking that it's so different everywhere you go, you got to kind of look at these simple couple little factors. Um, and with that being said, if you could break it down in a few couple, you know, simple things that, that you think you could share for people to find fish from North Carolina to Texas, what would it be this time of year? Absolutely. So like I said, those depth changes, um, right on the edges of flats. I mean, it's so hard to beat that type of zone right now, just because if those fish want to move shallow, on a day yep. where the sun is out and it's really nice and warm, those fish can, can kind of slide up and eat uh, and be comfortable. If that temperature changes, it gets cold and they need to kind of lock down and go into preservation mode with some stable temperatures, they can slide right back off that flat. Those edges specifically where there is some sort of structure, if it's you know the marshes of North Carolina, look for those grass points try to find a point that has oysters on it. I know that uh, I came across you a couple of times down uh, uh, down over in um, South, Southport. Yes. I don't want to give away the spot exactly, but- Fort Fisher, Southport points. area, yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. Now, oyster points at the edges of flats, super, super productive. Um, and, and I'll give an example down in, in uh, South Carolina. Uh, there, There's a really big flat called the Weston Flat. There's a, a bunch of drains coming off that flat in Merle's Inlet. I've had some of my best days of fishing in the Carolinas right where that flat drains out on outgoing tides this time of year. So you can get redfish, trout. The reds are obviously going to be a little bit shallower. I find that they hang close to oyster bars um, that have a little bit less fast-moving water near them. Um, they, they're really hang close to those oyster bars because a lot of crustaceans congregate around oyster bars in the wintertime. Um, you know, lots of shrimp and crabs. So th those reds are all over those oyster bars. Trout are a little bit further back where it pinches off more. I find that they, they're they always looking for the pinch point close yeah. to those types of zones. So they might not be sitting directly on the oyster bars, but they're going to find that pinch point. And translating this all to Texas, it's the same exact type of scenario. These cuts that lead off of these flats on outgoing tides, um, and I, I, I say outgoing tides for both uh, sides of these coasts yeah. uh, just because there's warmer water coming off these flats. That's yeah. typically when I find the best bite in the cold months just because it invigorates those fish a little bit more and there's usually lower tides so it pulls all that bait off those flats right really just prime feeding scenario for these fish but again in texas all that water's coming off that flat it's a drain the pinch point uh, just makes it really easy for those fish to feed so being able to look at a satellite map and see okay i need to find a depth change on the edge of these flats mud flats or grass flats whatever it be and, and find the pinch points that are close to structure. That would be really the key trend that I've observed uh, fishing you know, in North Carolina last month and fishing in Texas this month. Right, I can right. say on paper, 
exact same type of spot. Looking at satellite images, they might look a little bit different just because the topography of a flat looks a lot different in Texas than it does in, a, in the coastal Carolinas, Georgia, even areas in North Florida. Yeah, and, and I think for, for those of y'all listening, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning, we're going to hop on at the end and, and do a little extra content for the Patreon members. Um, why it's been nice enough. I, I learned so much from him. I don't know why he pays on my Patreon account to learn from me because he knows everything I know. Um, but we're going to talk about, I think we'll, we'll go into a few specific areas that we both have fished and kind of talk about how the, the those, you know, those funnels and those little choke points for the trout, for the redfish, for the flounder. So after this, if y'all, if y'all have enjoyed the podcast, I want to slide over to Patreon and check that out. Me and Wyatt will be talking about that over there. But um, man, it, it really is, it, it's, it's crazy. The one thing that that threw me off that I, I fished Galveston Bay um, for a couple of days one time, and what really threw me off there was just the massive expanses of shallow water. Like to me, everything felt like a flat, you know. And and I guess once you've you've studied the ditches and and where the little channels are, you know, there's a little bit deeper water. But it kind of plays true like Florida and uh, Louisiana, where you're not really seeing much deep water inside you, you know the deepest what's the deepest water you've encountered since you've been down there um that you've maybe not fished but kind of been through yeah so uh so actually i I'd completely relate with that statement everything is like a flat down here i probably should have clarified that a little bit more most of the areas that i'm fishing like i said are that that two to five foot in depth i'm sorry two to four feet in depth when you start looking at the depressions on the flats those cuts those depth changes that i'm talking about right now those can range, you know, in the middle of a flat where you're finding fish feeding, a depression of, you know, an extra foot or a foot and a half, even two feet. Wow. You can really find a lot of fish sitting in those if that's in the middle of the flat. Now, the edges of the flats that are connected to the intercoastal waterways where it starts dropping out to that six to eight foot range. Most of the intercoastal channels here, I believe, are like 12 to 16 foot. Okay. But I'm not catching anything right in the intercoastal channel right now just because the dolphins are running that like crazy. Um, they're pushing those fish into those cuts onto the flats, but those fish don't want to move completely onto the flats. So they sit in this kind of middle zone. Yeah. So I'm not catching fish in the really deep, you know, 12 to 16 foot of water, but I would say the deepest I'm probably catching fish right now is like six, six feet of water. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah. So talking about these slight depressions and these little changes, is that something that you can easily both in North Carolina and South Carolina key in on through satellite imagery? Or is that something that you're seeing, you know, or able to find a little bit better when you're actually out on the water? And if you can find it on through satellite imaging, Google Earth, how are, what are you looking for? Yeah, so probably, it, I'll be honest with you, it's actually probably easier in North Carolina. If you look at images on Google Earth during the wintertime, always look at those, you know, ones that were taken in, in 12 or 01, you know, December, January. That's when you get the clearest map imagery. You right. get on Google Earth on desktop play with that historical imagery, best way to see what's actually going on on your flats in, in coastal marshes. But they're actually easier to see in coastal marshes, in my opinion, probably because I've been looking at, at, the, at these marshes for a lot longer than I've been looking at grass flats. Um, but the color change is what indicates a depth change. So if you're looking at coastal creeks or you're looking at a mud flat, as the darker the water clarity is, especially in these clearer months, that's going to indicate a depth change. So if you're fishing if you're looking at a flat that you want to fish and you see, you know, a slightly darker green kind of cut that runs through the middle of it, or you can see where these creeks kind of drain out. That's another great way to find depth changes is just kind of imagine the flow of current 
know that on an incoming tide, it's going to push up against, you know, all the marshes uh, and dead end creeks and everything. Outgoing tide, it's all going to flow out like a vacuum to the nearest large body of water. So, and that's all dictated, uh, all the flow goes out to the inlet. So just picturing where the current's flowing, number one is going to give you a good idea where those depth changes are in coastal marshes. Number two, being able to see those darker spots, um, you know, whether it be dark green in shallower areas or even like black. Uh, that those are you know if you can find some some really small black holes in the uh, in, in the upper creeks during the winter time those yeah. are those redfish holes me and Judd are talking about right yeah. now super easy to find them you just kind of gotta you know pick probably like ten of them and, and go hit them each up for fifteen minutes till you find fish um, but here in Texas um, and in areas of Florida because I've done spot dissections there as well for our members when I when I have fish there. It's a little bit more difficult to find those little areas of depth because the the water clarity is you know usually pretty clear, but it, it's not that dark green or black that just immediately contrasts and stands out. It's like it a slightly, well. yeah, it's like a slightly darker blue almost. And it's like sometimes you really have to look at an image um, and see where the water's flowing on to the flat from these cuts or where it's flowing off of uh, on, on outgoing tides, things like that, or maybe even a, a wind tunnel uh, just based off of the topography of a flat is going to be, you know, displacing sediment. Yeah. That's, that's really how I've been finding them is having to, un that's again, understanding the flow of current even here is really important. Definitely. Um, so just, just kind of looking for those slightly darker green or slightly darker blue spots on flats. And again, it's all really shallow here. So it's super, super subtle. Um, if I had a depth finder on my kayak or I guess if I was carrying one where I, when I was waiting, uh, but I can just kind of look at my side, you know, but it's, that's really, um, how I, I, I usually find my depth changes when I'm out on the water. I can see color changes a little bit more. Uh, for example, this past weekend I was fishing, I was drifting a flat, um, not seeing a whole lot of activity in the shallows. Again, we were kind of on the, the tail end of a front, um, really windy, like 20 mile per hour winds. Uh, these fish were out of the shallows, but I could see, you know, some slightly deeper depressions on a flat where I couldn't see the bottom. I could see it was just kind of a darker green water clarity, which just indicates to me, you know, deeper zone. Start fan casting that area with paddle tails and I started picking out trout. So it's, uh, you, you can see it on the water as well if you're in clear areas. When I fished in North Carolina, water clarity is all the same regardless of where you're, you are unless you're up in like the two foot, uh, the foot back marshes. But um, I, I would I would heavily rely on satellite imagery and you know your Google Maps on your phone while you're out on the water to to identify where cuts are. Yeah. Coastal marshes. Yeah. Uh, being in that clear water, you know, we have we have clear water here as well in the winter. Has there been you know a specific retrieve with those paddle tails and also kind of go into maybe leader, um, what, what pound leader you're fishing down there this time of year to feel like you can you know actively fish for those larger trout. Yeah, so uh, I first will cover the retrieve. So again, it's wintertime. Um, so I, I do want to put as much of a, you know, hang in the strike zone type of thought process into my retrieve. But again, I'm still covering areas where I don't know if there's a lot of fish. So I've got kind of a moderate pace. If you're, if you're watching the video right now, I'm going to show it, but it's just kind of a moderate paced retrieve and I'll stop. Uh, just when I know I'm over a pothole, if I'm able to sight cast these types of areas, if it's a shallow, if it's a day where I can fish shallow, um, I, I'm seeing those potholes. I've got, you know, get yourself a pair of polarized sunglasses if you're fishing clear water. Right. Absolutely essential. 
those those amber green lenses i've got some smith guides choice optics right now those are my sunglasses i can see the potholes really clearly even on days where it's not terribly sunny and i'm kind of you know moderate retrieve i know i'm getting to the edge of a pothole i'm going to slow it down let that bait drop twitch twitch over the pothole twitch twitch and then i'm going to pick up that steady retrieve again just kind of a moderate to cover those spaces yeah. in between pot yeah because those fish are sitting on the edges of those potholes whether they're in the grass itself or they're sitting at the depth change slightly below that grass so just kind of a moderate retrieve mixed in with some pauses twitch twitch if i'm fishing the edges of these cuts which is a different type of zone than potholes uh these slightly deeper cuts coming onto the flat typically i'm just feeling out that ledge so it's going to be less of a constant retrieve and more bounce bounce trying to get that bait in a vertical movement because i know those fish are waiting on the ledge waiting for bait to come over the depth change and they're ready to strike from below. So the, the more I can put that bait in a falling down off of the depth change scenario, I find the more strikes that I get. So just think about where the fish are feeding, how they're feeding, where they're expecting bait to come from. And uh, that's you know how you should be adjusting your retrieve um, process. So fishing you know potholes and sand strips, I've done a, a good bit of it in Florida. You know, you're fishing these sandy patches or these potholes on grass flats. And you've usually got pretty white sand underneath it. One thing that I've kind of seen be a trend before, and not not always, like this is this definitely happens tarpon fishing uh, in the Keys. When you fish to a tarpon over sand, like you're setting up near sand on a grass flat to see the fish. So you're seeing those tarpon come across it. But they come over that white sand, and it almost is like, you know, you go from a dark room into a really bright room, and you kind of lose the ability to see super well. Have you seen that? be an effect with those trout are they typically eating it over the sand or are they eating it as it gets back over the grass this is a true i have no idea you know either way what what it would be have you have you put anything together with that at all or not really uh i I wouldn't say that i have a large enough sample size right now with the you know i i'm specifically thinking of the larger trout that i've caught i've caught a couple 20s um so far with the smaller trout I'm not necessarily sure if there's a pattern with yeah. the larger trout. It seems like they're sitting in the pothole itself. In the hole. Um, yeah. In the in the hole where it's a little bit deeper. Um, I, I'm not. I, that just seems to be the trend with with the smaller ones. It's all over the place. I, I couldn't tell you one way or the other. But anything sure. that's you know 20 or above seems like they're sitting right in the hole. Yeah. And again, I don't have a large enough sample size right now to say that's the trend for sure. Definitely. I've only caught like four or five of those fish uh, since I've been here, but that's the trend I'm seeing currently with what I have. Yeah, and, and with the tarpon too, it's not like they're orienting in the hole. You know, they're just sliding across the sand and the grass at the same time. So, you know, as that trout sits in that hole, it, it's its eyesight probably adjusts to be able to see just fine. You know, and as if a fish is swimming across a patch of sand from dark grass to bright sand, that might be where that issue comes into play, you know, where the, all of a sudden it's too bright. Um, but I, I, I can imagine, like, if you walk from a really dark room into an extremely bright room, the longer you sit there, you'd be able to see just fine, probably better than in the dark room. So that might be why they sit there, you know, in that brighter in those brighter areas to be able to actually see the bait. I think also the potholes are, you know, as we talked about slight depressions in a flat, they might be three or four inches deeper. And those larger, you know, those larger trout, they actually become more sensitive to temperature than the smaller fish do. Yeah. Um, so, so I would think maybe it's a comfort thing. Yeah. Also, you got to think trout, their eyes are positioned on the top of their head, their jaw hinges upward. They're used to feeding up. I think they're, I don't, I don't know. And then 
<clears throat> it's possible that the contrast might have a play in it, but I do believe that uh, them sitting below, number one, provides them with a little bit more cover. Their back is, uh, is just camouflage. So the, the higher up they are in the grass, the more likely they are to be spotted. If they can sit lower, they're probably going to be a little bit better off in terms yeah. of ambush. Um, but I, I believe they are looking up and they're feeding up uh, a lot. So I don't know if looking forward, the contrast is too much of an issue there. Yeah. Again, sure. these are just small observations. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that you found like, is there potholes that are too big? Like you haven't had as much luck or if it's a big pothole or there are a couple fish in it, you know, or is it single potholes, you know, or just one or smaller potholes, just single fish in it. Is there any, any type of trends you've seen there? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And this is actually something I'm glad you've asked. Uh, so, so when I say a pothole, I'm referring to something that's probably no larger than like, I guess the desk I'm sitting at isn't a terribly great reference. Um, but I, I would say something that's probably like the size of a, like a small uh, Volkswagen, like a, okay. a very small Volkswagen. That's probably the largest type of pothole I'd be interested in targeting. Um, a little, any larger than that, I'm just kind of going to fish the edge of it because it's. I feel like it's not as good of an ambush spot. It's possible you could have you know a couple, a couple smaller trout tucked into it, but those larger fish that get territorial, I don't think they're going to sit in those holes with a bunch of other trout. I think they yeah. would prefer to sit in a very more a much more covert location. Um, that's a little bit smaller. So I, I'm I'm kind of targeting anything that's like a three by three to you know the size of a small Volkswagen. Yeah, right on. That's awesome. Uh, I wish that, you know, fishing those potholes was more of a thing here in North Carolina. Our bot we just don't have the grass. You know, the gr if we if we had the grass that we used to have here, I think it would really play play true. I mean, we've definitely got some eel grass and some turtle grass and whatnot, but but not like we used to have. I think the trawling that goes on inshore here is has kind of hurt a lot of that and a lot of the grass growth. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the areas that I did see trout relate to grass a little bit more was in that topsail area, the yeah. sound area. Those were some areas where I did see some really healthy seagrass, and I did see, you know, North Carolina trout relate to those grass as well. But uh, I, I do feel like, you know, in, in North Carolina, there were, the majority of fish did feed, you know, in relation to points. I, I felt like a little bit more just because current uh, is going to influence food a little bit more um on on where the highest flow of food is going to be uh more than it does down here yeah that's true i think that is the main point that that drives you know our trout sitting in current versus you know fish feeding not in current is what the current's doing to bait you know and, and water temperature as well but where the current is putting the bait you know if you don't have current the bait can kind of be all over so the trout have to you know, figure out how to sit all over the place and, and how they can, you know, ambush bait without using the current to their advantage and then vice versa with, with areas with current. So, um, well, that's cool. Is there anything else that you've kind of, you know, that you've seen there in Texas that, that you think that your East coast friends should know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think I haven't had, I've really been focused on trout here yeah. uh, recently just because it's the time of year to be doing like it. Oh yeah, it's uh, this this is when all those big gators get caught. I'm gonna be heading down to Baffin here soon. Um, I, with the redfish, I would say something that I've seen here that I wish I did more of in North Carolina. Because again, I was really into targeting those creek mouths at low tide, those deep holes. Um, I was never much uh, going after redfish at uh, at higher tides and some of the shallower marsh grasses, just because I hated going around in my kayak, going around every single bend. I'd I'd rather just save my time for something else. But, uh, I mean, seeing – because there's less shoreline here, 
Uh, again, you've got all those creeks, so there's a lot more shoreline, but seeing all these redfish so shallow uh, this time of year, when it's a nice warm day for them to do it, um, the tailing opportunities have been amazing. I've gotten a couple shots uh, at, at fish, and it's been really fun going after them. I would say for anybody in North Carolina, post-front on those days where those fish are coming out of those holes, it would be an awesome opportunity to get up in the shallows. Uh, if you do have one of those unseasonably warm days, that's something I wish I had done more of um, in, in North Carolina in the, uh, in the wintertime is just look for those really, really warm days and go look for them in the shallows when the tide comes up. Definitely. Um, I was always really locked into doing them at low tide uh, this time of year. But there, there's, I'm guessing, and you can confirm or deny this, there's probably still opportunities at, uh, at high tide to go get a tailing on crabs up in the shallows. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially on those warmer days, like you're saying, they'll slide up into those de- ends of the dead end creeks and kind of tail around a little bit. And um, Yeah, I mean, there's there's opportunity, especially with the clear water, to catch them at all the tides. I, I, and people think you got to fish at low tide. It definitely helps. I mean, anytime the water's lower, the fish are more concentrated. You know, it's just the way it's going to be because there's less water, so there's less places for them to be. But um, there's there's great opportunities uh, on those on those warmer days and for trout too like that's what I always tell people you know when you're for trout fishing in the fall you're looking for those day you know those prefrontal where it starts to get cold and you're like oh we need some cold weather and then this time of year you're like oh we need some warm weather <laughs> to get the fish you know feeding a little bit um, but but yeah it's it's you know Wyatt does such a good job of putting the pieces of the puzzle together and um, we'll continue to have him on this podcast for that reason and that he's a good friend of mine and he's just really you know you're really good at sharing what you learn you know some people can learn it and put it together and go do it but being able to articulate it to, to others and for them to be able to you know use the same stuff is pretty cool so um, I appreciate you coming on here man and and like I said you guys if you are listening we're going to slide around to Patreon for a couple minutes and kind of talk about a few of the spots that Wyatt and I like to fish together um, we're not necessarily giving up the spots but we're going to kind of talk about some zones and some areas um, here in North Carolina and in South Carolina that we've both spent some time and put together some little bits of patterns um, just so we can kind of you know show y'all a little bit more you know what we're talking about so uh, everyone thanks so much for checking out this podcast Wyatt thanks so much for hopping on here um, and recording I think you got what two more podcasts you're recording today with Saltstrong <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's a day of podcasts, but I tell you what, like you said, I, I love teaching. Um, being able to to help people become better fishermen has always been my dream. Uh, growing up, I didn't really have too many people teach me stuff, so I had the internet uh, to teach me. And there's a lot of contrasting information out there, a lot of stuff that doesn't get it explained well. Uh, so I, I'm trying to be, you know, what I was looking for when I was younger, trying to Heck learn yeah. fishing. So uh, I, I'm I'm very much hoping that anybody listening to this podcast has picked up some tips. And feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. I'm always wanting to help people become better anglers. Right on, right on. And again, for those people that are listening, how can they get up with you and find you personally? Yeah, so you can always shoot me a DM on Instagram, uh, saltstrongwyatt. Uh, but I would also highly recommend if you want to become a better fisherman, you join the Saltstrong Insider Club. Um, what you save on discounts and tackle pays for the membership in of itself. Uh, but I go out on the water every week, film myself fishing, and I break down the spot that I'm fishing. I actually do show the spots that I fish here in Texas and in North Carolina. I, I did have a lot of reports that I put up there in South Carolina, just breaking down why I fish those areas under the different sets of conditions, things of that nature. Uh, but it just puts kind of that live action um, you know, example uh, in, in place. And we put out a ton of other awesome info. And you can always reach out to me in the Salt Strong Insider community, make requests for spot dissections. 
things of that nature. Um, but, but yeah, a- any way that you can contact me via Instagram or the Salt Spring Insider community, I promise you I'll roll this problem and I will help you out. Yeah, it, it puts the proof in the pudding is what it does. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Well, guys, thanks for checking out this episode. I think this is number 97. We're getting up to, I need to come up with something special to do for number 100 because that's a that's a milestone, man. I didn't know I was going to make it that long, but I ain't going anywhere now. So um, thanks for checking out this podcast. Wyatt, I'll see you over on Patreon. Later, man.